mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. Hey everyone, today's guest is Brandon Collinsworth. In 2002, he was broke, homeless, a high school dropout, destined for either prison or death. Brandon instead made the decisive decision to change his life and also his heart. After creating Real Results Fitness, an award-winning chain of high-performance gyms in Las Vegas, becoming an internationally renowned performance coach, and receiving his master's in positive psychology from UPenn, Brandon walked away from all of it. From 2016 to 2020, Brandon lived in Peru, Bali, Thailand, and India, where he dove deep into the study of yoga, indigenous plant medicine, osteo-Thai massage, and Muay Thai kickboxing. Inspired by his travels, Brandon became fiercely passionate about humanitarian work and giving back to the places that gave him so much. In 2016, he launched Warrior Retreats, a 16-day physical and spiritual rite of passage for leaders in Peru. He also works as the global director for the Tropical Pathology and Infectious Disease Association, a humanitarian nonprofit based in Peru that helps minority students get into medical school. In 2018, he was chosen by the Indian government as the U.S. Ambassador of Yoga, spending 10 days in Kerala, India, learning about yoga and its origins. In 2019, Brandon collaborated with Nike to launch Nike Yoga, Nike's first yoga-inspired performance apparel. He also co-created the first comprehensive yoga program on the Nike Training Club app. In 2020, he became one of the founding experts for Mind, the first digital emotional platform that is rooted in amplifying emotional well-being and human pathos. He currently lives on the island of Oahu where he is finishing his first book, Embodied Love, A 30-Day Journey of Self-Love. He is an absolute gem of a human being. You guys are going to hear that. You're going to hear his heart just in this podcast episode because he has so much to give and he truly wants to impact people with his story, with his experience, with his wisdom and with his heart. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I will see you around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the art of masculinity. Today, we got Brandon Collinsworth on here. And man, it was the our meeting in the 48 hour reset in Austin was so fortuitous. It was uh, just a blessing to get to know you and spend time with you and be able to share our, uh, our tiny stage, uh, in the house, <laughs> but to yeah. share that with you, man, was, was really powerful, but brother, how are you doing today? 
I'm so blessed and I'm so honored to finally be able to dive deep with you. And yes, shout out to the 48 hour reset and Gerald and the whole entire crew out there. That was magical. And let me tell you, if I wasn't already hyped up to speak, like speaking after you and hearing just your journey, your stories, I was so empowered just to give it my all because as most people know, who get to know you, you leave it all on the table. Uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. And uh, just, it was such an honor to be there with you, but where are you at? You're still in Bali right now? Or are you back in Hawaii? I'm actually in Las Vegas. Since oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> your old stomping grounds, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Had to come back and like, you know, put some things in order and everything with my mother transitioning mm. about six weeks ago. So finally tying the bow in Vegas. It was an incredible, epic dojo. I call it the neon dojo, a training ground of the highest caliber. And that chapter has been done. It's been a 37 year initiation in the desert. Wow. 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 Yeah. What was that? What was that like coming back to support that um, for you? It was, it was a step into maturity and into true chiefhood coming back to where it all started and to celebrate the woman who held space for me as I went from boy to young adult to man was an absolute honor. And so mm. I got so much respect for this city. It truly is a training ground of the highest caliber. What I love about Vegas is no matter where you go in the world, when you bring up Vegas, nobody has like a neutral reaction to it. They either hate it or they love it. It's, it's so cool. And this is a city of opportunity of vices and of temptation. And so mm. it's a place where you really get to put your tools to the test. Every time I come to Vegas, it's like back in the neon dojo. If your tools are sharp, you're going to excel. If they're not, this place will eat you up and spit you out. And I love it because it is truth serum of the highest caliber. Oh, dude, I can't wait for because there's a lot in that right now that people don't know. There's a lot behind that for Brandon Collinsworth. And so I, I can't wait for us to dive in that. But before we get rocking and rolling, bro, I'm going to run you through the manly round. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. I, I'm actually I love this question for you because you're so deep. So I'm very interested to it. But what is your spirit animal and why? So the spirit animal I actually have two, surprisingly. Mm. The first one is the Jaguar and the Jaguar. I have a tattoo of the Jaguar right here. And it's oh, because yeah. of my time in Peru of the beauty and mystery of this solitary creature that is considered one of the kings of the Amazon, how they move, how they operate and inevitably the strength they embody. And then the second one is the white butterfly. And mm. for the last 10 years, every time I begin to doubt myself, it's as if my ancestors send these white butterflies to remind me that I'm held, that I'm not walking alone, that I walk with a whole army behind me and to just keep going. So much so that I was on a boat in Thailand in the middle of the ocean and two white butterflies flew by me. No land anywhere. I'm like, where did these white butterflies come from? So the white butterfly what? is my, my other spirit animal. Holy crap. That's wild. Yeah. That, yeah. Yep. I'm going to definitely agree with that one for sure. Your ancestors are talking to you, bro. I love that. That was so good. All right. What, uh, what song, no matter where you are, if there's a million people around you, 
what song when you hear it do you absolutely have to just start singing out loud with it would have to be spaceship by kanye west and mm. this was on his college dropout album and he says i've been working this grave shift and i i basically he's basically saying that he wants to build a spaceship so he could fly beyond his limited circumstances and when i was growing up in the streets and working in the middle of the summer in Las Vegas as a valet driver getting shunned by rich dudes and telling me to park their cars, I would bump that song. And that song has kind of been like an anthem that no matter where I am, I'm a few steps away from hopping in my spaceship and just going quantum. Bro, I feel like you're already on it like half the time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's give and take. Sometimes we got to park yeah. it and like rebuild. Yeah. You're like, you're like, sometimes you're just going to take a step back to the material world. And then you're like, all right, I'm out. I'm at peace. Exactly. <laughs> I'm exactly. Interstellar. Uh, I love it. I love it. All right. And your last question is if you could be, so imagine your spaceship could time travel. If you could pick anybody in the past or present, um, that is relatively well known, who would you pull a prank on? And only if you know it, what would the prank be? <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I would have to go prank Jesus Christ and I would dress up. I would dress up in like some Halloween costume and see if he knew the difference between like a real demon and like Halloween. Oh, so good. So good. Surprisingly, people, multiple people have pranked Jesus Christ, which I think is, is really funny. So how cool he like really is. He's probably like, bro, let's go hang out. <laughs> He's like, bro, I saw you before you even showed up. You're like, damn, got me good. <laughs> I love question. that. I love it, brother. You did well, man. <clears throat> Those were good answers too. Those were good answers. I love that. Well, I want to, I want to jump in with this. Cause you're, you know, you're, you, you shouldn't be sitting in front of me today. You shouldn't have been as successful as you were. You were set up for essentially complete failure when we look at like circumstances for people. Um, but the heart that you bring to the world today, like truly the heart, the presence, the energy, the accomplishments that you've had, it's just, it, it still baffles me when I think about it. But I want to let you explain a little bit of what that story is to everybody so they can get caught up with us and we can start moving into some other stuff that you just can just drop a bunch of wisdom on them with. But let's start a little bit to, to give them a taste of, of why I'm even saying that. It's incredible. And thank you for the opportunity. And it has been a humbling journey. And the higher I climb, the more humility is accessed as well you know we're great we're great power comes great responsibility and that's one of the things that i'm continuing to push forward in my message um but just so people have a understanding where i come from my rite of passage began on the streets of las vegas and it was kind of set up from the beginning to be either a epic story of success or an epic story of failure my mother she was a beautiful white Mormon woman who decided to go against her whole entire family and fell in love in a fling of passion with a black man in Las Vegas. And at nine months pregnant, her family found out that she was having a mixed biracial child and they abandoned her. And so my mother decided that she was going to go full force with it. And she became the mama baron as a single parent. At that time, my father was 
caught up in some other things and had to go through his own rite of passage. But she grabbed the boots by the straps and she began to slowly but surely mold me into the man I am today. And that all began on the east side of Las Vegas. We grew up in the housing projects, section eight welfare section of East Las Vegas. And the reality is, is when you look at crime levels and you look at what happens on the east side of Las Vegas, the chances of you making it out of poverty are next to nothing. So I was forced to grow up quick. What was once innocence turned to a harder and harder shell, a harder and harder exterior. And street life slowly pulled me in layer by layer, moment by moment. There was a couple defining moments that really sit with me that I speak about a lot. One was when my mother woke me up one morning when I was six years old and took me to the back of a supermarket and had me dive into the trash cans to pull out day old food so that we had enough food to eat. And another one was when I was seven years old and my friend Brandon, also named Brandon, spelled with an O, I'm E. <laughs> he, um, we used to go door to door and collect quarters for like taking out people's trash and washing their windows with the squeegee. I was like a master window washer at like seven years old so that we could mm. play street fighter at the arcades at seven 11 <laughs> back in those days, you know, hustling. Hustling, hustling. Bro. and we walked out and we heard a shot and my friend's face began to spew blood out. And when we were seven years old, he got shot in his face by some neighborhood kids. So at seven years mm. old was the first time I was introduced to space in a world that was not safe. And wow. little by little, layer by layer, we began to develop a heart, more hardened shell. Inevitably got to high school. And because of the circumstances of poverty and my mom also falling into some mental illness, she ended up having to give up her custody of me for a while, which led me to living on the streets from 16 to 18, dropping out of high school, getting caught up in the street life, developing a deep addiction to alcohol, drugs, women, and getting into some just brutal wars. And it came to a moment when I was 18 years old, where I was sitting at a bus stop. And I decided there at that bus stop that if I didn't change some things, I was going to die. And at that moment, I had no idea how things were going to shift. But my mother, the gift she did give me was a love for books. When I was four years old, she introduced me to Dr. Seuss. And we used to have these speed reading contests, especially his tongue twisters on who could read Dr. Seuss the quickest. So in that process, I learned how to read. I became a really good reader and I lost that art for a long time. But when I was 18 years old, this voice came to me and, and said that if I committed myself to education, if I committed myself to reading, I could change my life. And that's really what happened over the course of the 10 years. I read close to 1000 books. And in the process of that, my life transformed. Knowledge mm -hmm. truly is power. And I truly believe now looking back, the greatest gift that I was ever given was that I grew up poor, that I grew up on the streets, that I learned to find gratitude in the most harsh situations, that I learned to navigate a world of challenge and strife and make the best out of it all. And if it wasn't for my mother holding that frequency of love and teaching me all she could teach me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So it has been a journey. And now looking back on that journey, it's been <clears throat> 18 years since I said at that bus stop, looking back on it, it is, um, 
I'm so grateful for it all. I'm so grateful for the pain. I'm so grateful for the challenges. I'm so grateful for the lessons. And I have a chip on my shoulder as well, because most men who come from situations that I come from never make it out. And I can't even begin to tell you how many people told me I was a wasted talent, told me I was a nobody, told me I didn't deserve to be where I am. And so my mission is to make everybody feel like a somebody, to truly touch the hearts of everybody I come in contact with, to look them in the eyes and let them know that by very virtue of them being alive, that they are worth it and that they are a miracle and that who they are and what they are matters. And that's my mission to truly infuse self-worth and love in everybody I come in contact with and have them share their gifts in a, in a unique way. Brother that, I mean, and, and that's just even part of the story. We didn't even talk about the upswing of, of Nike and everything else that you've done, but I want to, I want to stay here for a second because I think there's a, a power, another powerful piece to this is I think a lot of guys hear this and they're like, man, you know, obviously Brandon's got, he came from something. My life may not look as hard as Brandon's, but a lot of men build this exterior shell around them, just like you did. What, where was, where was that piece for you where you started to see the world in a way that you wanted to bring love and peace and support to other people and kind of start to shed that hardened layer that you grew up with growing up on the streets? Yeah. <clears throat> Great question. And a lot of our brothers definitely deal with that. I think the term is called normative male alexithemia in the DSM. And it's this mm -hmm. idea of men's disconnection from emotions, but inevitably disconnection from softness. And softness truly is a superpower I'm learning. And so it was a process of becoming more and more soft. And it came from me feeling more and more safe in my own skin. You know, mm -hmm. what I learned on the journey is that the, the biggest war that we'll ever fight is the inner war. And when we finally get aligned, that softness flows through and love inevitably is always been there. We've just been holding ourselves back from it. And so the education first was this excavation of who I was through books. I was able to time travel through books. I was able to travel the world, even though at 18 years old, I never left Las Vegas through books. I was able to see different perspectives and begin to think abstractly and think outside of the box. And as I began to vibrate higher, I began to attract people that were no longer trying to deflate me and kick me down and hold me back. They were actually trying to show me the next step and show me love and show me compassion and show me what that looks like. Now, a lot of times when we hear about these transformations, especially in the land of Instagram and Insta fame, we think it happens overnight. And I always say it took 10 years for me to get to that one year that changed my life. It took 10 years of nothing changing really on the outside, a lot changing on the inside to get to that one moment where, as they say, the bamboo shoots up 20 meters in the course of three months. Mm -hmm. And so for those out there that are on the journey, the, the work works, but we have to do the work and we have to be okay with it being a process, allowing time to grow us, knowing that there's no skips from white belt to black belt. We got to go through the levels and the layers and each one needs the other one to become what it is to become what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's it, 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 like so many guys and, you know, I hate to put it on men. I think women do a, a little better job um, with continuing a process, whereas men uh, see defeat and then go back to old habits 
And yeah. instead of doing what you did, which was stick with it and persevere, which, you know, at the time you had no belief that that one year was going to show up. You just believed in the process that you were doing because it was helping you. That's what changed everything was just continually to put that one foot in front of the other. But I want to talk to something you said, um, because I think this is another thing that men really lose grasp of. You say you said when you when you kept reading and you kept that progress in yourself, you started to vibrate at a frequency that brought in people who helped to elevate you. Can we talk to that a little bit? Like, because I think guys don't really like, they think that that is so esoteric that they're like, ah, it's not tangible. It's not logical. Mm -hmm. How do we explain this to them? Yeah. So first know that to those that are listening that are listening, the growth is never linear. It's like a video game back when we used to play like Mario Brothers. You play the first level and then King Koopa annihilates you. Then you play it again and it <laughs> annihilates you. This is the vices. This is the habits. This is the conditioning. And eventually you learn the strategies to go to the next level. And that's what the 10 year process was. So it wasn't linear. There were so many times I fell back into drinking. I fell back into vices. Some of the mm. toxic habits that were from my childhood came back full force but the intention was what mattered. I saw there was a vision of where I wanted to go. And even though I'd fall back, I would continue to come back, double down and try to refine the technique. So like right now I'm in martial arts and my Muay Thai teacher is always drilling the technique. You get cracked in the face, go back to the technique. Inevitably, it's going to be ingrained into our being and it's going to allow for us to like level up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. beautifully said, brother. So yeah, and it's go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. So, so the, the question was real quick. You just asked. Oh, uh, it was just how do we get guys to really see that that yeah. that that the vibrational frequency when you when you do something that's different from the old pattern, right. you put yourself in a different vibration and it attracts something different. How can we speak to that to them? Because I, I think so many men just get lost and because it's not, like you said, it's not linear, it's not Absolutely. logical and it's not tangible. So guys tend to shove it off. Absolutely. It's, it's so funny that, that, especially in the space of like men and men's work, the esoteric does kind of sometimes get put off as this like ethereal love and light cloud. But the reality is, is we attract who we are. And if you look at, Great athletes, masters of craft, they surround themselves with other masters of craft. And it's a cliche term, but we've heard the thing that we are the sum total of the five people that we surround ourselves with. What they leave out is how do you get into that circle of five great people? Well, mm. in that process, you become the best you can be. The best you can be energy is a powerful energy that anybody can respect from white belt all the way to black belt. And when we're living in that space of being the best we can be, we're going to attract people that also live from that space of best we can be and also want to see us step into the best that we can be. It's just a process. And so when I first started out, it started with like, like a, a guy at work who just saw that I was hungry. Or I remember I was working at the Wynn Hotel as a spa attendant and I would take care of like all these rich naked men. It was just hilarious it was like the most humbling thing ever they would like come out with their their junk hanging out and they're like get me a pineapple juice but i realized 
working there at the Wynn Hotel at that time that these were some of the most wealthy people in the game. They had something to teach me. So what I did, I asked them, what is your favorite book? They would give me a book, The Alchemist or um, Awaken the Giant Within or Who Moved My Cheese or The Richest Man of Babylon. I would go to the library or I would go to uh, Barnes and Nobles right after work. I would get the book. I would try to stay up all night and read as much as I could. Usually they were there for three or four days, read as much as I could. And then I would go back and say, hey, I just picked up this book. This is what I've learned from it. What do you think about it? And in that space, they just see this young kid with just some gusto, doesn't necessarily have all the tools, still taking care of them, but is on the path. And from that space, so many of those guys were like, you know what? I like you. I like the ambition. Let me show you a new way. Let me Mm. show you how I did it, how I can do it, or how you can make this process easier for yourself. And in that space, so many mentors just began to appear. I think a lot of times in our modern day sense of transformation, we want to skip from white belt to black belt, and we lose the apprenticeships phase where you might be apprenticing for 10 years before it's time to even become a journeyman or step into quote unquote mastery. And I think when we can fall in love with the process, then it all becomes a celebration rather than only celebrating the end result or the final destination, which we both know as soon as you get to that final destination, it's, it's a, it's a beginning process all over again. It just becomes a new one. It's, it's just like the, the faster, I think we can help men realize that the journey is really life and the mountaintops are simply brief moments. Like people would enjoy life a lot better. And I, and to your point, like that's exactly what it was is, is the, you started to love the experience as opposed to trying to go to being that black belt right away from white to black belt, you know, at some point it's like, who really cares about the belt? Because the journey's the the fun part. That's where everything really happens. That's where life happens. So I love that. Absolutely. I think sometimes too, when a person does get a black belt, if they stay stuck in that black belt space, that's inevitably a dangerous space to be because no growth or evolution is allowed to be there. One of the stories I heard when I was in Thailand was of a black belt master who every time his students got to black belt, they got to wear it only one time and they had to put the white belt back on. And they were talking about this idea called Shoshin, beginner's minor empty cup. I think Mm. the detriment to so many leaders is that when when you get to a certain level and society's validating you, there's no more reason to grow. So people try to hold tight to that black belt, but it's in that space of putting the white belt back up, back on on a daily basis that we open up the doors for infinite opportunity and, and infinite growth to happen. Wow, man. I, I like had to type this down because I was like, that was so powerful. Beginner's mind and empty cup. Is that what it was? Yeah. 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 That is freaking epic. And uh, that to me epitomizes what a good leader is in, in life. Somebody who is always willing, cause a good leader also <clears throat> knows how to follow and knows how to learn. So how, what are you doing today that you're continually challenging? Cause we're going to get into your expertise here in a second, but what are you doing today that continually challenges you? So we can show guys that even somebody that is as you know, developed in the way that you have been is still challenging himself. 
Absolutely. So at the height of my training career in Las Vegas, owning four, four plus gyms at one point and winning business of the year, I felt called to grow and I walked away from it all and mm -hmm. moved to Asia and began to dive deep into the study of yoga, osteo, Thai massage, and Muay Thai kickboxing. And that has transformed me on so many levels. I had to let a part of me die for something new to be birthed. And it was only because I've seen something be birthed so many times on my journey that I had the courage to do that. So right now, the thing that is excites me that I'm so passionate about is, is the martial arts and the art of combat and what that process is like and how the teachings work and how you can only access certain levels of martial arts by being in a certain level of physical and mental shape. It truly mm. is a master teacher of the highest caliber. And so my daily routine right now is deeply immersed in reading, self-study, yoga, and martial arts. Mm, I love that. And yeah, that's, that is the tip of the iceberg of what you did to like leave what, when you, yeah. um, cause then, I mean, also we may <clears> as well share it is you're also like a Nike master teacher. I mean, yeah. weren't you, you actually created the Nike yoga like thing, right? The yeah. entire thing for Nike. Like, like that was, that's you. <laughs> yeah. So, so the journey, the journey, once I decided to leave the streets, it took about 10 years for things to begin to change. I went to Job Corps, which is like a last opportunity school in the mountains where you're on a military schedule. So, mm. so much respect to all of our, all of our servicemen, because what that did for me is it gave me so much discipline. We had to wake up at 6am. We had to be in bed by seven. If we got in any trouble, we were out of the program. And so this mm -hmm. program put me in a situation where I got my GED, I got my high school diploma and inevitably got one credit in college. I got a C and I was like, wow, they told me I was so stupid. I could actually kind of do college. So from there, I went to the community college, spent four years at the community college. First two years did not count because I was so remedial with my high school transcript. I was in like algebra, like 30 and you had to get to like <laughs> algebra 90 to even for it to count. It was like basic math. Oh, so, God. Took four years to get my associates. Then I went to the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Now, during that time, I, during the time on the streets, the one thing that allowed for me to escape the pains, the mental illnesses, the, the alcoholism, the challenges was training, was working out. So even though I had developed a lot of bad habits and vices that were destructive, I did fall in love with training. And that was the one thing that kept me insane, pretty much kept me from killing myself when I was 16, 17 and 18. Mm. And so as I began to go through community college, I wanted to share that with more people. And so I became a trainer and the, being a personal trainer was how I pushed my way through school. And at that time I wanted to be the best trainer I could be. And so I started interning, working, reading, consuming everything I could on the training game. As I went through school, I inevitably ended up interning for three years under a sports psychologist named Dr. Michael Norwood, who introduced me to the art of flow and grilled me. I would do 70 plus sessions a week and he would critique me on every one for like five Whoa. bucks an hour. I was like broke and broken from working so hard. But what happened there is I got inspired to go ahead and 
researched the top sports psychology and positive psychology programs in the nation. And at that time, the University of Pennsylvania Ivy League had a program in positive and performance psychology. Now, coming from the streets and going to the Ivy Leagues is like next to impossible. And my undergrad, I only had a 3.0. But I decided that I was going to scrap any other options and I was going to focus on getting in that program. And so I spent two years working on one application. I went on LinkedIn. I got cool with all of the assistant professors, not the professors, because the professors were top of the, the best in the world. Adam Grant, Angela Duckworth, Jonathan Haidt. These are like mega stars in the world of psychology, but I got cool with their assistants. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, two years later, I got into this program and dove deep in the world of performance psychology, which led me to opening up my first gym in Vegas, Real Results, which was really a fusion of physical fitness and mental fitness. And we opened that downtown Las Vegas, no investors, went on Facebook, had our friends donate equipment, took over like an old tortilla storage. And after a year or two, it blew up. Now, 2008, I remember putting on my vision board, I wanted to work with Nike. And at that time, there were Nike trainers, but it was hard to get a hold of Nike. I would hit up these Nike trainers and they would show me no love. There was like, it was like crazy. There's this young yeah. kid who just wants to like get into the Nike space, no love. Fast forward 2014, I've kind of forgotten about Nike, but I'm doing my best to be my best and just deliver service to everybody who comes into my space and leave, that, leave a positive mark on everybody. A couple guys from Nike are in town in Vegas. They asked a person at a convention who in Vegas is innovating the training space. My name came up. They came to my gym. They worked out with me. A few weeks later, they flew me up to Portland, had this incredible like deep dive with all these other master trainers from around the game. And at the end of the day, they're like, Brandon, can we come speak to you? And I'm like, oh man, they're going to tell me like, it's not going to work out. Like I felt like I was getting pulled into the principal's office. And they asked me that day, they said, would you want to appear in a commercial? And that was my first Nike commercial. And that has led to nine consecutive contractual re-signs in a row. So it's been almost 10 years of being signed to Nike and being able to truly work with some of the best in the world. Fast forward to 2016, my gym is cracking. I'm traveling all around the world. I have 250 plus shoes in my living room. I'm like feeling like on top, on the outside, looking like I'm on top of the world. But I felt the same despair that I felt when I was on the streets. I was wow. like, this is so weird. I have everything, you know, beautiful women are like finally looking at me. I got every shoe that I could have ever imagined when I couldn't even afford Nikes when I was younger. I'm signed to Nike. They're flying me everywhere. I have a 5,000 square foot gym now. It grew to and, and 50 plus employees. And so I decided to go to Bali. Went to Bali, went into a yoga studio in Ubud, the yoga barn. This lady named Denise Payne looked at me, saw right through my, my facade and said, you have no idea what's going on on the inside, but you think you do. And that was my intro to yoga. And so when I got back to Vegas, I dove deep into the yoga space. And two years later, I decided to walk away and go full-time to study yoga, which meant that I would probably lose Nike. I was 
I didn't know at the time, but I lost my gyms, got sued for almost half a million dollars and gave everything up in this pursuit of my, my, my truth of my Dharma. You know, they say, protect the Dharma and the Dharma will protect you. I took that leap while I was out there and everything was falling apart. I decided to pitch Nike on yoga. I said, you know, yoga's powerful. Yoga's potent. More athletes need yoga. More men need to be doing yoga. What do you think about this? And what I did is I created this whole entire proposal of all the top yoga teachers that were doing innovation in the yoga space and bridging sport and yoga. And at the bottom of the page, I said, and maybe you consider me because I wasn't a yoga teacher really at that time. Mm. Went through the proper channels, took a few months. They hit me back. They said, guess what, Brandon, we're going to be moving forward with Nike yoga. There's an internal team that is doing some paradigm shifting stuff. And guess who we want to work with you and Nike yoga was launched. They did this incredible Nike yoga commercial and I became the face of Nike yoga. And then in that space, the last two and a half years, Nike has funded me to study and pay for my trainings in, in Thailand, India, and also in Bali. Wow. Wow. That, that whole transition was a testament of what we talked about earlier of when you vibrate at a higher level, things get attracted to you in that vibration. Like if, if guys are listening to this right now and didn't believe that philosophy, your story in and of itself is exactly what we're talking about. The epi it epitomizes what that means. Cause you didn't have anything other than the energy you brought other than the intention that you brought. And I mean, especially when you're there and you're doing yoga and your entire world is on fire outside of that place. And you're like, I'm just sitting here vibrating at this different level and something's going to happen for me. And whether or not you knew what it was or whether or not you even believed it, it just did. So like, holy, I'm just like, wow, wow. Cause I know most of your story, but this even is like blowing my mind. Yeah, I love that. Energy, man, energy and refinement and knowing that whatever is for us is going to appear and what is not for us will, will be stripped away as we become more aligned. And that's, there's a lot of pain in, in, the, in the stripping, in the excavation process. There are things yeah. that we, I hold, have held onto so tight and I'm still again and again in that process, but it's like allowing ourselves to be born and rebirthed again and again and again it becomes just a beautiful process. A lot of people, and what I'm noticing in the transformation space is they loop and they loop because familiar is comfortable, mm -hmm. but growth happens in the unfamiliar. And the only way to activate the potential of the unfamiliar is to go there. And inevitably, and you know this, you know, firsthand, you eventually become comfortable in the unfamiliar because you have tools and these tools allow for us to see in the dark and to find a way when there seems to be no way. Mm, yeah, man. It, it, in my opinion, you have to, if you really want to live this life for everything it has for you, like you have to be, you have to start to enjoy the unfamiliar and the uncomfortable. And for me, like the entrepreneurship is so uncomfortable. I literally wake up every day, like uncomfortable. I'm like, dude, this sucks. Like, this is hard. That sucks. It's hard. I'm like, this is hard, but I wouldn't have it any other way, man. 
I wouldn't. I, I I've truly come to enjoy it. Um, but out of all the stuff I've done in my life, this is harder than any of it because it's a psychological intensity of like thinking about all these things. But yeah, it, you're right, man. Being in that uncomfortable space is, is where life happens for us and where it happens on such a beautiful level, like true beauty happens in that. And, and so um, part of this too is uh, I want to see or I want to hear a little more about how maybe there's some tools or maybe there's um, some, some more insight you can give to guys about allowing some of the old comfort to burn down. Um, I, that is something that I, I feel like so many men are so terrified of. And I say men because men have the added aspect of society putting the reliance on, on putting food on the table on them, on this picture of masculinity on them of like, you can't fail. You have to know everything at a certain point in life. Like you're everything, everybody is relying on you. So like guys have a lot of added pressure. And so to allow something to burn down could almost be more terrifying than just telling somebody with a gun to shoot me. And so what, what can we give guys for that? Because I, I think so many men run from it, even though they know life has something more for them. Yeah. I, <clears throat> for a long time dealt with that same thing. And I was, you know, 10 years ago was when I started therapy. And one thing that I'm really proud of a lot of my brothers is that they're leaning into therapy. Now it is, it is okay to say, I don't know the answer. It is okay mm. to say, I need help. It's actually a sign of power. And one thing I always look to is the greats. When you look at the greats, whoever it may be, Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, they all had teams around them. And when we have a team around us to hold us to the fire, to hold us into these spaces, it really helps. But inevitably, at the end of the day, when we rest our head, it is us versus us. And again, that's why it's so important to, you know, cultivate those tools. I really think that for those that are on the path for really trying to find out or lean into what is their highest potential, it's so important to get quiet. I think one of the most dangerous things is that, that we are faced with as humans is this constant barrage of outside noise. It's truly a world of mass distraction. And in the quietude, the silence truly has so much to say. So many people have been distracted for so long. They've never heard what is true for them. They have the opinions of their parents constantly playing. They have the opinions of their jobs constantly playing. They have the roles and responsibilities of being a man constantly playing. I think the first key is to know thyself. And the first step to really knowing thyself is getting quiet long enough to hear what one needs. It's in that space where we develop trust. And when we begin to trust our own self, we begin to trust the moves that our intuition are as Stephen Pressfield would say in the War of Art, the diamonds, this divine wisp of inspiration would tell us how to move or where to move. That's where the gifts truly begin to become activated. The one thing that I love about the journey is it's uniquely our own. Nobody mm. has ever walked your journey. Nobody has ever walked my journey. To those listening, nobody has ever walked your journey. And so there's going to be chapters in your story that nobody has an answer to. You have that answer. 
you got to give yourself the room to hear it. And the only way we really, I think, hear a unfiltered truth, a pure truth, not a distorted truth, is we got to give ourselves, one, the space to be silent, and two, a clean enough energetic environment to hear it. A lot of times we numb ourselves through alcohol, through TV, through different addictions. And therefore, what we hear is a distorted message. But when we do get quiet and we allow ourselves the space to get clean in the quietness, I really feel like true potency comes through. I think the other thing that I would say is really important for men who are really trying to figure out how to navigate and take that leap. One, all you got to do is look to the history books. Most problems that we've all dealt with, have, many people have gone through the same situations. And so we're never doing it alone. We are standing on the shoulders of so much wisdom and we are standing on the shoulders of ancestry and teachings of bold, courageous individuals who did leap into the unknown and figure it out. And two, along those same lines, as what I spoke to earlier, getting help, knowing that we're not supposed to do this alone. The, the drawback of our American society in a lot of ways is that individualism has replaced collectivism in more indigenous tribes and in indigenous societies there were a whole entire village of people rapping the man when he stepped into his trials and tribulations of becoming a man that elders showing him the way and a community supporting each and every step we've oftentimes lost that in our individualistic society and we think we have to go at it alone. And when we're trying to conquer a world alone, when it's supposed to be conquered with community, we're setting ourselves up to fail. And so one of the most powerful superpowers that a man can embody is saying, I just don't know. I need help. And when we show up in that space, we realize that there's a lot of people going through the same thing that we go through. And when we're able to link arms like a chain with our brothers who are also walking the same path. We're able to endure a little bit more. We're able to go a little bit deeper and we're inevitably able to take steps that we never thought we could take into the unknown, knowing that we have a support system that's rooting for us to succeed and, you know, come back with those teachings. Mm. Oh man. So powerful. And to that as well, um, you know, you mentioned that there's different cultures out there and that it is more of a collectivism and you have a vast experience with different cultures, specifically the connection you have down in Peru, which I want to tap into a little bit here on the podcast. Cause I want you to share that with, with men out there is that, you know, the work that you do down there, but in the power of plant medicine, but also the power of, of the tribe that you work with and the people that you work with and how the men in that culture are raised I would love to like have that kind of be an underlying piece to this. So guys can hear about something that maybe they're very unfamiliar with, but may actually bring a lot of clarity and light to them. Absolutely. So <clears throat> Peru was one of the, has been one of the greatest gifts given to me. Um, when I was 27 years old and I'm going through undergraduate senior year at university of Nevada, Las Vegas, I had a professor who was African-American film teacher and he was doing a film at Valley High School, a documentary film on Black Confederate soldiers, which was fascinating. Mm. And he 
he was like, I'm going to be a Valley High School. And I remembered my mother said she met my father at Valley High School. And so I said to him, I think my mom and dad went there. And he looks at me and he goes, is your dad named Lane Rowling? And I go, yeah, that's my dad's name. And he like, his mouth drops. He said, that's my brother's best friend. So he calls his brother that night. His brother calls me up, says, are you Brandon? And about a day later, I was introduced to my father for the first time. Come to find out, my father's living in the jungles of Peru. And he's working with the tribes. He's working with the indigenous people. And so 2012, after I graduated from grad school, I decided to give that relationship and opportunity and see what was there, which brought me down to Peru, which brought me into the jungles, which brought me into a world that I've never seen, which brought me in contact with plant medicine and not just ayahuasca, but I'm talking about the full pharmacopoeia of the Amazon jungle, which is crazy. Walgreens <laughs> ain't got nothing on the Amazon jungle. <laughs> you know what the I mean? The Amazon dieta, man. Exactly. And I began, it began to be a, as I'm going through these journeys that we just talked about in the States, I would go to Peru for one to two months a year from 2012 to 2016. And it became another aspect of my initiation where I saw people who were truly rooted in community, where I saw people that were still truly connected to the lands in a way that we mm. have lost. When I saw the respect and reverence and the wisdom of these people who you would walk by on the street and just gloss over and they're master shamans, master teachers, um, master botanists and, uh, and have understandings of plants that we would never ever even grasp because we haven't grown up in that culture. And so in 2016, as a lot of my friends were diving into yoga and plant medicine, I decided to create an opportunity for them to come down and experience it. And so I invited two friends, Gerald Lemon Jelly was one of them. He ended up <laughs> not going to that one, but two friends turned into 18 friends and 18 people showed up. And wow. after they went through a seven day experience, I knew I had something special. So I created warrior retreats. And in that process, we have brought over 150 leaders of the highest calibers, many executives of some of the top companies, many of the top coaches in the game have come down to not only dive into the world of plant medicine, but also to dive into the world of service. And I think that there is the most transformative part of what we do at Warrior is we bring people into the hospitals and they work with terminally ill children and they see really quickly that although they might have some complaints about their Western amenities and the, the drama, when they see a kid who is literally going to pass away in a month or two, and they're still smiling from ear to ear, it brings this sense of gratitude and this radical shift. I call it life awaska that mm -hmm. completely mm -hmm. shifts people's trajectory. And so we've been doing that for the last six years and we're getting ready for warrior seven. And it truly is. It's a pro it's a profound experience that I am just honored to be able to actually facilitate. I, I really believe it was a gift to me and I just get to hold it. It's not mine. I just have the opportunity and honor to share it. Oh brother, that's beautiful. And what, like, if I could ask you, there's probably so many lessons you can, you can list off, but as a man, 
being involved with the tribes down in Peru and that culture, which is beautiful. Actually, a lot of my, uh, my chest tattoo and my arm tattoo is, uh, pretty much all Incan, Incan tribal. Wow. Wow. Um, cause I resonated when I went down there to sacred Valley and was on a plant medicine journey as well as beautiful, but that'll be a story for you and I off, off the show. But, uh, but yeah, so if I, if I asked you to maybe share something that as a man, you gained clarity for yourself from those tribes. What's maybe one thing that sticks out for you that has, it has taught you about how you show up in this world as a man? So many lessons that have come from being down there. One of the most powerful lessons that allowed me to endure deep transformation was from my brother, Christian, Jimenez, who is uh, the youngest lineage holder of a very, very famous shaman down there. Um, there's, a, there's a book called Ayahuasca in My Blood by Peter Gorman, and he talks about his time with this very famous shaman. His great grand, his grandson, it, Christian, told me one time, Brandon, you have to earn the healing. And I said, what do you mean I have to earn the healing? And he said that if you just sit there and do nothing, nothing is going to change. But if you want to access a deeper level of self, deeper level of truth, he said, you got to meet the healing halfway. He said, stop sitting back and being passive. Stop expecting something to be handed to you. You need to show up, do the work. And in that space of doing the work, you will receive the gifts. Fast forward to another teacher in India, he told me, do the sadhana, unlock the cities. So the cities, S-I-D-D-H-I-S, are the gifts. The sadhana is the work. Show up, do the work. Show up to the yoga mat. Show up to the healing. Show up to our relationships. Do our best, and inevitably we'll receive the gifts that come from that. And once that clicked in, shortly after that, I was initiated because after I got hit with a lawsuit, I went broke for a short time and had to go back to the hood in 2020 where I grew up. And it was that gift that he gave me of like, he told me surprisingly, he said, it is easier. He said, it's easier just to give up and to, to check out than actually sometimes lean into the transformation. But if you lean into it, he said, you'll, I promise you, you'll be so thankful that you did. So when I was hit and I've been hit and, you know, even my mom transitioning a month ago hit with the burns of life. What he gave me was this gift to know that as, as long as I lean into it and do the best I can, even when I feel completely overwhelmed and challenged one, I'm going to unlock the gifts of those moments, but two, the energy and the nurse is going to carry me through. And on the other side of it, there's going to be a lot of gifts waiting. Mm, God, man, that right there, that was, yep. That's it. That's worth it all. That, that, that freaking that was beautiful. That was exactly what I was looking for, man. So many men are going to hear that brother. That was epic. Well, this has been such a blast, man. I, I just, I love you so much. You know that you drop so much wisdom in here. I hope people took out some notes and freaking just started writing down stuff. But can you tell everybody, brother, what you got going on, how they can support you, the best way they can get in your ecosystem? 
um, and be part of your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my passion project, one of my passion projects right now is called mind. Do you mind? And it's app that we created in 2020 to de stigmatize mental health and give people the opportunity to tap into the resources to help them not only be physically strong, but mentally strong. And so I lead biweekly lectures on do you mind? And there's a whole entire arsenal of teachers on there that are teaching everything from sexuality to codependency to setting better boundaries. And that is an app that you can download on the app store. It's called do you mind? I'm also doing some incredible stuff with Nike. We have all of my yoga classes on the NTC app. So if you want to tap in and tap into the power of yoga from a more masculine sports performance standpoint, I would be honored for y'all to come and check out some of the classes on there. You can download that as free as well. Warrior Retreats is coming up. Warrior Retreat 7. We bring 12 to 15 people down each and every year. That application is going to be opening up in the next couple of weeks. Warrior Retreats on Instagram or warriorretreats.com. And then lastly, my page, Brandon Collinsworth, is where it's my living journal. And I take really deep pride in showing people that I'm always in a process. By no means do I have it figured out. I have my white belt on and I am going through the challenges and tribulations of life on an everyday basis. New levels, new devils. And a superhero is not defined by his superpowers. He's defined by the supervillains that he has to fight. And as he becomes more powerful, so do the supervillains. And so I just am honored to be able to share that. I'm always in a process as well. And for those listening, I honor you. I celebrate you. I'm grateful for your time for listening. And just know that you matter. Your story matters and that you deserve the best of the best. And that on the other side of the work is so much beauty. On the other side of the storms is so much sunshine. And just remember that you deserve love and you deserve to be in community and you deserve to be heard. Mm. Oh, man. Even when you're just telling people about your stuff, it's just, you got words of wisdom coming out. It just like seeps out of you. It's like, oh, I just got more. <laughs> I love it, brother. Well, your last question uh, before I let you hop off and get back to your day is, what does the art of masculinity mean to you? Such a good question. The art of masculinity to, to me is the art of love. Mm. And I feel like the art of love asks us to be holistically ourselves, integrated on all levels. And it is a dance of the feminine and the masculine, of hardness and softness, of both faith and force. And I feel like in the process of that all, we inevitably get more connected to the heart. And I feel like the embodiment of a true, true warrior, a true man who was powerfully in his masculinity, all starts in the heart space. It's when we tap into this space, the great connector, Anahata, of the lower chakras and the higher chakras, that we truly become a unified individual. And I think this, this time, more than ever, we need embodied men and unified leaders. Mm, beautifully said, brother. Beautifully said. Well, thank you for your time, my friend. Thank you for the space, the wisdom, the heart that you brought. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time, guys.